and we're live, pal. Welcome to a brand new episode, a loaded episode of the StuCast. I am, of course, Stu. Check check me out on Twitter at StuCast Sports on the Twitter sphere. Hit me up. Let me know what you think of this show. Also, head over to iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast. Drop me a you know five star review, a kind review, if you will. But uh, please check it out. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, big show today. I know a lot of new listeners coming in. Uh, probably for our big guest today, Alex Marvez, making his Stucast appearance. Uh, he's a great guy. He's one of the most knowledgeable NFL people you'll find out there. And part of All Elite Wrestling, which is a uh, product that I fully support and love. Um, so we get into it on both accounts, and, and it's a fun chat. It's, he's a cool dude. Uh, shout out to PTF for, for helping set that thing up. Uh, but also we're talking the Chris Jericho book, which is available at Jericho30.com. You can pre-order it now. It's on sale. Get it. Uh, I've already got mine. I've already got the 90-minute the podcast that is associated with it. It's very cool. Um, it's a great gift to give somebody for Christmas. Uh, after that, we, we've got some really cool guests lined up, too. John Jabs of The Past is Alive. We're, we did a box break of 93 Pinnacle. We're going to be talking about why Derek Jeter rookies are so impressive and uh, some of the collecting that goes on, how, how you buy boxes. I know a lot of people are getting into sports card collecting. It's coming back. We're going to talk a little bit about that and maybe some tips for folks who want to flip and make money to, to listen to that. Uh, the official trainer. Of the Stewcast, Ray Handel. He's going to be joining us talking about his barn. He's had some some big victories recently, and he's going across the country. He's doing a lot of interesting things. We're going to hop on with him, see what he's up to, and get his take on some things going on in New York racing and abroad. And then we wrap it up with the college football preview. A huge, huge weekend last weekend for us. I think we were 20-8 and eight on, the, uh, on the weekend, so... You really can't beat that. That's a really good ROI. We're making money on the year, so that's a positive. And uh, hopefully you take a look at it and, and, you know, we can help you out. If you're a new listener, we can help you out making some money as well. But that's that's our show for this week. Next week we will be back again. Um, Feel free to look in our archives. We got a lot of really cool interviews and a lot of really cool people that come on. So check us out. But without further ado, I'm going to get into this show. Enjoy it. Drop me a line at Stucast Sports on Twitter. And until next time, I will see you later. All right. At this time, I am really, really excited to be joined by a great guest. You can catch him on Sirius XM, NFL Radio, and every Wednesday night on TNT for All Elite Wrestling, AEW Dynamite. Of course, I'm talking about Alex Marvez. Alex, thanks, man, for bearing with me some technical difficulties this morning, huh? No worries, Al. Thanks for having me on the Stewcast. I appreciate it. Bro. Hey, I, I'm, I know you're a busy man. I, I'm pretty sure you're fielding phone calls from Belichick at any moment. So I want to jump right into things. Uh, look, I mean, we're we're fo- almost 14 months into Dynamite. Uh, you were one of the first people in the company. 
along with the EVPs and, of course, Tony. Uh, at this point, uh, COVID understandably put a real wrinkle in everything. But do you feel what is the sentiment uh, from you and, and from your coworkers? Uh, is everything on schedule or do you guys feel like you're even ahead of schedule at this point? Well, I mean, I think we're ahead of schedule when you think about the fact that TNT signed us to an extension so quickly into the agreement. And thank goodness that they did before the pandemic hit, because that has obviously really helped with our inability to run live shows at this time outside of Daly's Place in Jacksonville for safety reasons. And, you know, so that I think right there, the the numbers that we're drawing, especially the 18 to 49 year old demographic, I mean, are just so encouraging as to what we have. And, you know, I mean, it's in some ways it's, it's frustrating because I think we could be doing even better numbers if we were performing in front of live crowds. I think that we continue to expand our audience and, you know, things like that, because there's just nothing like a wrestling show in front of a live audience. And but we've met the challenge. I mean, and, and the fact that we're coming off a show uh, with the return of Sting and, and Kenny Omega and, and John Moxley and an incredible main event drawing more than 900,000 viewers, uh, you know, to watch even with. A competition uh, from another wrestling company airing on another network, uh, siphoning away some of our viewers. I mean, there's really not much more you can ask for as far as the way this company goes. And the thing about it, too, unlike World Wrestling Entertainment, we didn't lay people off to try to get to a bottom line during the pandemic. We didn't make people's life miserable uh, by, by telling them that they're furloughed or, you know, taking away money from them. I mean, Tony Khan didn't have to do it, and it affected the bottom line of the company, but he kept everyone on board, even though, you know, some people just couldn't get to this, this country, you know, for example, uh, you know, or couldn't come in at the time to participate in, in you know, for a couple months for some of them uh, to participate in shows. And he never dropped the axe on anybody like that. And I think that just speaks volumes about him as a person. I think it's also what our company stands for. And I think fans recognize that we have a very loyal group of fans. And I think it's why our pay-per-view numbers have remained consistent. It's why our audience has remained consistent. And I think there's even more room to grow as more and more people discover what All Elite Wrestling is all about. Yeah, and I I hope that people tune in because, again, tomorrow night, uh, tonight or or last night, whenever you're hearing this, uh, Shaq going to be making an appearance. You've got Sting back. And then we find out what the heck's going on. You were Johnny on the spot in the in the parking lot <laughs> to catch uh, to catch Don Callis and Kenny Omega. A quick question about that in particular. Uh, look, I, I'm going to steal a line from Dave Meltzer here. It, it's very reminiscent for for guys who are wrestling fans like myself and value the history. This has a, this smells like Bobby Heenan and Nick Bockwinkle in the mid seventies in the AWA. This smells like just two, <laughs> like two power forces. Um, this could be really dangerous for, for anyone who wants that belt because uh, I mean, Don's old name was the virus. I mean, it, <laughs> how how much fun do you think those two are going to have and, and how dangerous are they to the grand scheme of things, especially when it comes to the, those power rankings and, uh, you know, just kind of crushing people on top? Yeah. Well, the I mean, the invisible hand is what Don Callis likes to call himself, although he is quite visible when it comes to Kenny <laughs> Omega as of late. But what's happening here, I mean, it's historical, right? Yeah. We're talking about something where it, where something that people, I mean, and this came out of the blue. 
nobody knew that this was going to be happening, a relationship between, you know, and, and maybe one that we didn't necessarily want to forge, uh, you know, but one where AEW and Impact Wrestling, you have a crossover. You have, a, you have our headline performer, our world champion right now, Kenny Omega, appearing on a rival company's television show. I mean, that right there is, is so mind-bending. It's so 2020. It's unbelievable, right? But, I mean, that's the thing about it, and, and it opens up potentially other avenues of, of maybe some relationships that can be had there. All Elite Wrestling already working with another a number of other companies, you know, AAA in, in Mexico. We, you know, we have a relationship with them. We had relations, you know, with folks, you know, all over, uh, quite honestly, and, and having, you know, independent talent has come in this year. I mean, it's been a very healthy thing for the pro wrestling industry, and then I think an exciting one. And, yeah, now you pair Don Callis and Kenny Omega together, and, and it's just a total turn from where Kenny Omega was. You think about you know, tag team wrestling. And he was so great with Hangman Page, but it was something different. And this, the expectations were so high surrounding Kenny Omega in All Elite Wrestling, right? I, I mean, you know, coming in as, as the number one wrestler in the world, according to Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the best bout machine, you know, subject of a bidding war, you know, for his services. And then he comes into AEW and he doesn't set the world on fire. He doesn't even get a world's title match. You know, I believe this was the first world's title match that he even had. During his time in AEW, you know, having lost to uh, to Chris Jericho for that opportunity at that title in our first pay-per-view show. Yeah. So, I mean, gosh, I mean, Al, to me, it, it's just there's so many ways that this can go. And with Don Callis now in the mix, it's a very exciting time. And again, it makes AEW must watch television. And, and you mentioned uh, the guy pulling the strings for AEW, Tony Khan. It, it, I mean, JR, we were talking about it. I mentioned to you uh, off air, you know, I, I heard JR, you made the introductions for Tony and JR. Dave Meltzer, again, has uh, kind of alluded to uh, a friendship with Tony that you have. First of all, where, where did you meet Tony and what's it been like uh, being friends with him, but also working with him? Yeah, I mean, well, it's a very interesting question that you asked there. So, uh, Tony, when I was down doing, I worked for SiriusXM NFL Radio. That is my full-time job. I've done 26 years of covering the NFL. And, you know, Tony's uh, family bought the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I was down uh, for a training camp preview show with Bill Polian, uh, you know, and, and uh, for, you know, Pro Football Hall of Famer, former Indianapolis Colts and Buffalo Bills executive. And, you know, Tony introduced himself and said, I used to read you growing up. And, and I had to laugh, but he did, you know, because I had one of the very first pro wrestling columns on a national basis in the country. I started writing in 1989, coming right out of high school for the Miami Herald, and it expanded to Scripps Howard News Service. And I was doing something before a lot of folks, you know, you know, making wrestling mainstream before it became mainstream uh, and before there was an Internet. And so it was pretty cool that, you know, he knew about me from there. And then we just developed a great relationship. He was such a passionate wrestling fan. And I'm not a WWE person. I, in fact, I don't watch the product because I just I, I just despise the way that they treat people there. And I just refuse to give them any of my attention or money. So, you know, he would sometimes show me some things from WWE Network when we were on the road together, <laughs> late night watching wrestling at two in the morning, like, you know, Lesnar, Cena. And I'd never seen any of this stuff before. And I mean, I appreciated it, you know, but it was just fun. And after a while... You know, the, the, the concept came around, you know, what if I started a wrestling company? And, and I've, you know, been around for all the steps that were being taken 
behind the scenes. I just never said anything about it because we're very close friends and I would never do that to him. And he had a vision of what he wanted. The vision would have never come together. Were we not able to sign, you know, the top talent that became available, uh, you know, all converging at a certain time, like the young bucks, like Cody, like Kenny Omega, hangman page. I mean, these were blockbuster signings, let alone pack, you know, Dr. Brett, Joey Janela. I go down the list of our initial group that was with us. And, and it was amazing, right. To be able to get these, these folks signed. But Tony, I think, you know, for so long had an idea if he did a wrestling company, what he would want it to be like. He got everything together. He approached the folks at, at Turner, was able to get that part of it done and, and ultimately signing a deal that has truly changed the landscape of wrestling. And I just think this landscape of wrestling for the better, because it's led to a lot more people getting jobs. It's forced companies to up the ante because they don't want to fall behind all elite wrestling. So they're maybe spending more to keep their talent. Maybe there's more independent wrestling uh, that's able to draw, you know, fans based upon what we're doing and, and all that sort of thing. So I'm very excited about that. But, yeah, it's been neat to work for him. And, you know, listen, he trusts me to do my job, which I really appreciate. He's been nothing but supportive there as I've grown into a niche that I have now doing backstage interviews and trying to help in some different ways behind the scenes that folks don't see, uh, you know, announcer notes, uh, different things with the graphics department, et cetera that I'm just trying to help out because Tony asked for my help. He's a dear friend. I consider him honestly a younger brother and I will do anything for the guy. So I'm just happy to be a part of it. Well, first of all, for all us, uh, all elite fans, I was at the first dynamite uh, and anyone, I know anyone listening to this is going to be jealous of that fact, but please give Tony a, like a high five or a hug or <laughs> bake him a cupcake for us. He deserves it. Um, or just tell him to get a nap. Uh, but you mentioned the research and laying out notes that probably plays a big part in uh, a project you're, you're adding on, uh, to your resume with here with the complete list of Jericho covering all 30 years of his illustrious career. How, how does this project come to you? And it, it, I mean, it's, it's a different wrestling book than what we're used to now. This will be the most unique wrestling book ever written. And I say that comfortably, and I not only own most of them, I've not only read most of them, but having worked on this one, I could have never imagined the project that it became. And where it came about, you know, the complete list of Jericho, 30 years of smashes, matches, and hits, available at Jericho30.com. We're taking pre-orders now. And they, it comes with a 90-minute Jericho match commentary where he goes into detail about some of the matches that, that fans have asked about. Um, so we're, it's Corpus Christi and it's December 18th and I'm assembling some announcer notes, uh, you know, for Jim and Tony and, and the Spanish announce team. Excalibur does his own notes. Uh, you know, he's welcome to look at mine, but, but he does a lot of work on his end on that. I, I want to make sure I say that. And I mentioned to Chris that he had wrestled, you know, this, on this day when, uh, Jack Perry, Jungle Jack Perry, Jungle Boy, uh, his opponent that night on that particular day, he had, was wrestling Ultimo Dragon, uh, in, uh, 1997. And I said it was match number, I think, 730-something in his career. <laughs> and, he, and he said, are you sure about that? And I said, why do you say that? Um, and I told him where I got it from. It was the cagematch.net website that has a lot of, you know, archival information on there. And he, go, and he told me, it's because I've kept a journal of every match that I've ever wrestled. And I was fascinated by this. He told me the story behind it, why he decided to do it. One thing led to another, and we got to thinking, well, what if we put this into print? So, uh, you know, I typed in individually 2,722 of Chris Jericho's matches from his journal. 
And these are matches that has a, you know, he rates them by star ranking. Uh, he ranks, you know, we say who the opponent is, where it was, who won or lost the match. Um, and there's even more detail from early in his career, such as how much money he was paid to wrestle the match, how much the crowd estimate was on his end. I mean, it, it's the most detailed thing that you've seen. But to make it, you know, a little spicier, so to speak, you know, rather than just a pure record and fact book on Chris Jericho, we've included a lot of bells and whistles on this. For example, in their words, we've gone to some of Chris's top opponents and asked them, what is your most memorable Chris Jericho moment and why? So we've shared that. We have multiple lists from Chris Jericho ranking his top 10 opponents all time, ranking, uh, you know, who are his, his top, uh, what are his top gimmick matches, so to speak, you know, and matches that he was involved in, like steel cages or money in the bank, things like that. Top tag team partners. Uh, we've asked outside folks like Dave Meltzer, Brian Alvarez, uh, you know, Fumi Saido, uh, you know, a re- premier wrestling journalists to share their moments. What were the top things they remember about Chris Jericho? And we have a number of infographics about his career. And again, details of every single match that Chris Jericho has ever wrestled. If you're a Jericho-holic, I know it's a must-have. But I think even if you're just a wrestling fan, you're going to learn so much about Chris Jericho. You know, what his one loss record was. And the fact that his career is so unique. Because, Al, you think about it, no one is going to ever, I think, be able to do again what it is that he did which is work for so many different companies doing so many different wrestling styles across the world. I mean, that's the thing, you know, from working in, in you know, Canada and, and Winnipeg and Calgary uh, to going to Mexico, to going to Japan, to going to WCW, to going to WWE, going back to New Japan, uh, then now going to All Elite Wrestling. Uh, you know, so many things along the way that Chris Jericho has done, things that I'd forgotten he'd done or learned that he did. And it's really a fun look at that. But I just think it's a fun look at wrestling history as well. It's definitely a detail-thick book. And I'm excited it'll be out this spring. Again, Jericho30.com. I just, I'm, I'm proud of this project. It's going to be more than 350 pages, I think, by the time all is said and done. Which, uh, trust me, in my mind, I had no idea what this was going to look like. But so far, so good. And it's on sale right now. It's a great pre-ordered gift for Christmas. Uh, and shout out to Peter Fornatale, at yeah. Lins Boldly on Twitter. Good man. Uh, Me and him are friends, and he worked on this quite a bit. And he was telling me, you're going to saying a lot of the same things. You're going to be surprised when you open this up. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy. Um, So shout out to you, Pete. Uh, Real quick, I know, Bill, I know the hoodie is getting off the practice field. He's picking up the phone. Um, He may (laughs) still think you're working for the Browns and you're trying to trade draft picks. I don't know. <laughs> uh, we're gonna let's do some quick hits, and I want to mix some NFL in here. Yeah, quick thoughts, and we'll we'll wrap it up with a couple AEW questions here. Uh, first off, a uh, lot of moves in the NFL so far. We've seen it in Jacksonville. We've seen it in Detroit. Probably about three years too late. Uh, a lot of jobs open. What's the best GM candidate and the best head coach candidate out there? I, I think the best GM candidate is George Payton. Um, he is fantastic. He is the uh, number two in Minnesota, and he has turned down opportunities for different places through the years because he just hasn't felt that the fit has been right for him. Uh, I think the the you know the fit is right now. He would he would go. I mean, he has helped you know stock the Minnesota Vikings roster through the years, and I think done a really nice job. Plus, I just think that he has the maturity and the vision needed to become a successful general manager. So I'm really excited about. George Payton. I, I think that he would be the top guy. He should be the top guy on people's list. You know, I, I think Eric Bieniemy has learned so much 
from Andy Reid, you know, on how to run a team. Look, we know that, that Eric's a smart guy. He knows about offense. He's been a coordinator before at the University of Colorado, so that was nothing new for him. But, you know, I think he also knows some other things as well about how to reach players. And, and that's really so much of it isn't just X's and O's as a head coach. These guys obviously know football. But a lot of times when you become a head coach, you move further away from that because you've got so much responsibility on your plate. Just because you're a successful coordinator does not make you a successful head coach. But I think Eric, you know, from learning under Andy Reid is someone that would be an extremely appealing option. You know, it's his time, so to speak, to be a head coach. And it's interesting because, you know, Kansas City's success has worked against him for for reasons. And I get it. Teams want to get a head coach in place immediately because they can start hiring staff members. And if you don't have a strong assistant coaching staff, a lot of times in this league, you are not going to succeed. And there's only, you know, so many top assistant coaches who become available and they're limited in numbers. So you want to hire that coach really quickly. And unfortunately, Eric Bianami, because the Chiefs have been going so deep into the postseason, I think sometimes teams are unwilling to wait and they've moved on from him. But I think this is his time as an NFL head coach. So I think Bianami, Peyton, right now to me, the two guys that I'm most intrigued by running something in 2021. Hopefully wearing Honolulu blue and silver come next, uh, <laughs> next year. Uh, Chiefs, are, they, are, they're just monsters on offense. Even when Hilaire goes out, like you got Le'Veon Bell, who's still uh, a workhorse, and he can still compete. You've got the best quarterback in the league. Who is knocking off the, the Chiefs? Is there somebody in the AFC, or is there anybody in the NFC that can compete? Oh, I think so. Let's, let's not forget here that Kansas City has won, I believe it's their past four games by less than 15 points, if we do the math. I, I mean, they, yeah. they have not been blowing teams out. This defense is leaky. And I think you saw you know Melvin Gordon have success running the ball. It's going to be a team uh, that can control the clock and you know, basically keep you know Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. And what's a little bit alarming to me as well is how pass-dependent Kansas City has become over the past uh, three games. In fact, they're throwing the ball at a 67% clip, which I'm not necessarily sure that's a recipe for success with the defense that they have, if you know what I mean. They may want to, you know, and maybe they'll get back to it when Edwards Hilaire gets a little bit healthier. I know he's been battling an illness, um, but I think they can run the football successfully as well. They just haven't really been committed to it. They've been more interested in passing the football. But I think a team, let me give you an example. I think Indianapolis, uh, you know, because of the fact that they, they run the football, that is their forte. I think in, with the way that their defense has been playing and they have been fantastic in the second half of games, choking teams out, I think that would be a tough matchup for Kansas City. I think, too, you know, but of course, you know, do you, where is that game going to be played? And when you look at Kansas City being outdoors and maybe a little bit of a slower playing field than you would have inside a dome in Indianapolis, could that be a factor? Absolutely. But how about Cleveland running the football? I mean, that's another team right there that's just very dangerous right now for them. And, of course, the Steelers, but is Pittsburgh going to get James Conner back healthy? What is he going to be able to do? Because they did not do a very good job running the football against Washington on Monday night. I get it. Washington's front is really good, and that was a bad matchup for Pittsburgh and a gimpy Ben Roethlisberger. But I'm just curious about about Pittsburgh as well. I just say that I don't think any team is invincible in the NFL right now. And it's not just because Pittsburgh lost on, on Monday night. There had been signs that, you know, maybe they were headed toward a loss at some point as well. I know they were coming off a short week and we see Washington starting to surge. But I, I just can't tell you there's any individual team right now I truly like. Maybe New Orleans when Drew Brees is back. But then I've seen Brees in January the past couple of years and it has not been pretty. 
maybe this time off in the long run is going to be good because you'll have a, a better rested Drew Brees, and we know what Taysom Hill can provide at the quarterback position. Green Bay, do we trust their defense? I, I, I don't. Not as of yet. You know, again, stopping the run. So I love the fact that it's so wide open in 2020. It is a fascinating year. And again, I'm just not going Kansas City or Pittsburgh to the Super Bowl quite yet. Most underrated wrestler on AEW roster right now. Ooh, most underrated wrestler in AEW. Huh. Putting me on the spot here with this one. You know, I still, yeah, I still think, not trying to get you some no, heat. Still, I'm not trying I to get you heat. I still think that we're going to be able to do more with Nyla Rose. And when I say underrated, it's because, you know, she I know she got the shot against Hikaru Shida at full gear. Uh, but she's gone in the background a little bit again. And she spent a little bit of time lately in the background. I think that she, I mean, she is such a talented, talented performer. Uh, she's great on the microphone. I just think that there's so much more that we can be doing with her. And, and listen, our women's division took a major hit this past year. Uh, you know, a lot, so much of our talent was unable to come back. We've been working. We had B. Priestley in the mix. Chris Statlander gets hurt. We've had injuries. We've had, you know, people unable to get into this country to perform. And, you know, th- that has really set our women's division back. But I just think that as time goes on, you're going to see more, I think, with, with that division really returning to prominence. And I, and I think, I hope Nyla Rose remains a huge part of that. That's, a, that's an unexpected answer, but I can see it. I can see how she she's becoming a, a force, and she's had some really impressive matches, which leads me to my last question. Uh, favorite match from the first year of AEW? You know, I have a weird first match, and it's just because it made me laugh and smile, and I thought it was really cool. And it was uh, it was in Dallas, and it featured it was a six man tag team match. It was Best Friends and Orange Cassidy, and it was Pac, and I think it was either the Lucha Brothers or the Hybrid Two. And I apologize for not knowing exactly who it was. Hybrid Two. It was Hybrid. It was two. a hybrid. And I'm a big yeah. I'm a big Hybrid Two fan. I'm a big Pac fan. They're good. And of course, you know I love Best Friends and Orange Cassidy. But this was one of Orange Cassidy's first actual wrestling matches, and he and Pac squaring off. It was just so, un- it was just, it was weird because it was the first time that we'd really seen Orange Cassidy do that shtick, uh, you know, where he's, where he's throwing the slow kicks and Pac is looking at him like he wants to kill him. It was just a fun match that really made me smile. So I really, really liked that match as one of these under the radar type of matches uh, that we had in AEW. But gosh, I mean, look, that, that tag team match with Kenny Omega and Hangman Page against the Young Bucks, I mean, was so far off the charts as far as how a tag team match goes and, and all the underlying little storylines that went with it. I thought that was amazing. And listen, and I know it, and, and really for so many of us too, Stadium Stampede was so, was so big because it just was, it was like the way I've told people to watch it because it's about a 15-minute match, think of it as five 10-minute movies. Because really, that's essentially what this thing was, right? It, it was different movies yeah. that, that took you from scene to scene to scene. And to be there at the, at the, uh, at the show. And I share a story in the Jericho book coming out about how the, the finish to the match almost didn't take place the way that it should have taken place. And I'm not going to share that publicly, but I'm gonna, you got to see it in the book. But to, to see these guys and the perfectionists that they are, trust me, I have learned so much about professional wrestling that I couldn't have known you know, out being outside of the business. I've learned so much in this past year. Not only that, I've learned a lot about life too. I've learned about a lot about what like, like what makes some of the top people in the world tick the way that they do. And I just feel very blessed about this experience because 
you know, at the midway point of my life, hopefully, I, I am still learning things and getting out of my comfort zone. And, and Al, that's something that a lot of us, you know, a lot of folks don't get to experience and don't get to have happen. I have, and I'm really lucky for it. Alex, I can't tell you. It's been such an honor to talk to you. Hopefully down the road when the off season hits and, and the schedule, you're not fielding calls <laughs> from Bill Polian and this, that, and the other. Uh, maybe we can reconnect because, I mean, like you alluded to, there's so much to your story. Your days at uh, in Miami, writing, uh, and you've, you've seen and done a lot in the NFL. And I, I'm like uh, 150 questions for you, but uh, I'll let you go. Thank you so much. Jericho30.com. Alex, anything else I can plug up for you before you, you hit no, the door? No, just, you know, check us out on SiriusXM NFL Radio. Shows are on demand. You can listen whenever you want, you know, through the SiriusXM app. I usually work at nights, and um, and I work on Sunday mornings during the season on the tailgate show, hosting 9 a.m. to noon Eastern. You know, we, obviously we have, uh, of course, uh, the, all the stuff at AEW going on, Dynamite 8 p.m. Eastern time on TNT. So please check us out there as well. I'm on Twitter at Alex Marvez. Feel free to shout at me there. Um, yeah, that's about it in my life right now. I, I think I've got enough going on at this point. I'm just going to keep it that way. Well, whenever you want to trade jobs, <laughs> I am trust me, I am, it's, it's I fun. am blessed, my friend. I am blessed. <laughs> All right, Alex, you take her easy. God bless. We'll be back right after these words. What's going on? It's Matt Bernier from the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In the Money Media Network. Be sure to join us every Monday, occasionally Tuesdays, but for the most part, every Monday, however you listen to your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, whether it's YouTube, you name it, you can find it a million different places, including InTheMoneyPodcast.com. It's the Matt Bernier Show. Anything and everything to do with the world of horse racing. All right, joined right now by the official trainer of the Stewcast. He wins me money. He wins you money. He's he's Horseman of the Year in our hearts, Ray Handel. Ray, how are you, brother? I appreciate that, man. I'm great. Happy to be on the show again. Hey, it's always great to have you, man. I, I mean, uh, last time you were on, you were getting ready to head to Saratoga. We were talking about how important it was to have a good meet. And uh, I, th- I think it, I think we can say that you crushed it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. How, how'd that come together for you, man? What are, are, do you do any type of mental math looking back at the game tape or is it just one of these things where the stars aligned? Uh, well, let's hope that this, uh, this preludes the aqueduct me as well, the same kind of way that it did Saratoga that we, uh, that it's good luck that I come on the show. Cause we did yeah, crush hopefully. it this this uh this summer that was awesome uh you know i don't want to say that i shoot for the saratoga meet but i think timing wise it just kind of works out where i give i you know a lot of horses get turned out in the winter we go lighter through the winter time and then as spring comes in horses are coming in from the farm so they're coming in fresh and maybe they might need a race you know so they get their race in at, at belmont uh, obviously this year was a little bit different, but we still had a Belmont meet. And then, so they get that one race off their back and then they're kind of primed and ready to rock at Saratoga. And it seems like every year it's kind of been in that cycle where things are on the upway, uh, upway up stri- uh, swing of things uh, when Saratoga comes around. Um, also just getting, you know, there's 
some crazy stuff with his luck, you know, that you can't explain. Obviously, winning those photos, you know, that I've been losing more recently. But just at Saratoga, it seems like every bob I got went my way. And, you know, horses that were, you know, the, the condition book was kind to me. Um, and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff always plays a factor. The horses do always do physically well, but I don't think that's just a me thing. I think horses just naturally do well because it gets so hot here and they go up to Saratoga and that climate changes. It mm -hmm. cools off. Um, all of the horses seem to eat better up there. Their coats do well. It's just like when people go up there, you know, I don't know if it's, it's if it's the air or the water there, but everybody's just feeling good and happy and, and, and the horses are the same way. It, it, you kind of mentioned that, it, like, that's the thing. It kind of works out for you because when you do well there, you're doing well. It, it can help buoy a, a year. And uh, recently, you know, couple seconds, couple thirds, but a big victory I gave you out on In the Money Media, Kansas Kiss. Uh, a very hard horse to find on the sheets. Shouldn't have won that race the way – uh, it was one, but you look back at this, the, I went back to this whole idea of like, why can't this horse win? Uh, where, yeah. where'd that come from? Cause the horse wasn't bad too crazy, but I mean, performed very sharp. I think people get lost in the numbers a little bit sometimes, and maybe her buyers weren't as flattering as they could be, but you know, she was running races against the elite earlier in the year um you know she had to go they shut down here for covid after she ran second in the busher uh so we had to go to oakland um obviously uh, you know she got beat double digits in that race and it wasn't that bad considering the kind of quality that she ran against um and then i brought her back here and we were training and and i ran her in the 1x and she didn't get beat that far in the 1x after she had had a long campaign um and, um, you know, she was just kind of telling me that she needed a break after that race because she was odds on that day and she kind of loomed up and she was just mix, missing that second gear. But I don't know. I think it, people get lost in the figure sometimes. And if you dissect and look at the competition she was running against, no way she should have been 15 to one. Although Chad was getting hammered. I think, you know, second choice was pretty high odds as well. So mm -hmm. it wasn't a typical 15 to one, but. I knew she, she's a good horse and the good horses, seem, you know, even that I've been a little cold lately, the good horses have been running good. Uh, maybe just not quite getting to the winter circle. Um, and that happens, you know, but they've been showing up and I knew she would show up and I knew she'd run a good race. Did that put her in the winter circle? You know, you never know. But like you said, at, at, at those kind of odds at 15 to one, I, I told my guys, I said, you know, they, they asked me if I liked her. I said, I don't know if we can beat Chad's Philly. I said, but she's going to outrun her odds and she's going to fire her, her good race today. You know, she, she likes running. It's the first time she's ran off the bench and I know she really appreciated the freshening. She came back and she just really had blossomed and grown into herself. And um, I think she's a horse that's, you know, going to keep on improving um, all the way through the winter. I, I'm going to run her back once more in a one X or um, sorry, she won the one X and run her back in a two X before we jump back into stakes company. Um, it's nice that we have like the natural break for Christmas here, uh, the winter break that, from the 20th to the 30th. And we'll look for a 2X for her early in January and then probably get back to Stace Company. But, you know, she's a horse that we've all liked. 
you know, from the beginning. And, you know, I, I there's so many different reasons why people uh, – I've been kind of cold, so that could have played a reason why she went off so high too. So, Well, you're never cold in my mind. You're always, <laughs> you're always just lukewarm. Um, yeah. All right. I'll take it. You've been you've been flying around the the country. It seems like if they have a circle that horses run around, you're you're checking it out and putting one in there. I've seen you at Laurel. You you got lost and ended up at Charlestown. Uh, you're at yeah. Keeneland. You're going to Turfway. What? Yeah. What it, was this a plan? Is it mm -hmm. just circumstance? How how is that working out for you? Uh, yeah, I, I ran the horse in West Virginia and left it there with Jack Hurley. He, he worked for me for a little bit and he's got a few clients horses down there for me, blue streak and, and, uh, Matt Katera for Katera racing. Um, and this, that Philly, Miss Morgantown, she's a West Virginia bred. So, you know, I kind of, I ran her down there, left her with him down there. Um, but yeah, we're always hunting for the right spots. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not afraid to ship. I do like to run, you know, stay at home and at least train them here as long as I can before we ship out. But yeah, this winter we're doing a, um, uh, string at Turfway. Um, you know, they have the new poly track they put in. The money was supposed to be better than it is. Um, initially when I found out that when I heard Churchill Downs bought, turfway last fall um i had in my mind like okay this is something i want to pursue um and i had spoke to you know ben huffman who actually uh, tyler pickle pickle armor uh runs the um is the racing secretary there but i had reached out to them and let them know even early on this year that i'd be looking to to go to turfway this winter and that um I was very serious about it and I wanted to keep a string there and I want to keep a string year round. When I also read that they were planning on putting in a dirt track to keep it open after the meet's done for training. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really, you know, excited about it. I've always wanted to get, I've always wanted to get my foot in the door in Kentucky racing. I think it's really the way to take your, take your game to the next level. Um, and I'm kind of backdoor doing it with, you know, sending the, the, the lower end kind of maybe not lower end, but sending all my grass horses there and some of the horses that we want to keep running through the winter. Also horses that we want to aggressive with and maybe move on that we need to, you know, it's getting to that time of the year. Um, so it worked out well, everybody's pretty game. Um, at the end of the day, the dollars and cents thing plays effect, you know, going to, to Florence, Kentucky for the winter is a lot cheaper than going to Tampa or Palmettos or Gulfstream. And, you know, it's not Gulfstream money, um, but it's certainly uh, better than Tampa money. Um, mm -hmm. And just there's no stall rent. There's no, you know, you know, putting people up. It's a lot easier to find rent. I, I just got a three bedroom place there for like eleven hundred. <laughs> you know, oh, there for, you go <laughs> for a month you know you go to these places like tampa and they you know and and, and florida anywhere in florida or, or new orleans you know they expect the seasonal people to come in and it just worked out better this way for me with all the things together um and i i love the tapita track i actually worked for michael dickinson uh i used to freelance i used to ride for michael matt at fair hill mm -hmm. and i would go to um I'd go to my, uh, Michael Dickinson's farm who created Tapita 
and uh, ride some workers out there. Uh, funny enough, I used to ride out there with Sheldon Russell. We used to breeze horses together back when I was 50 pounds ago. Jesus. And, uh, <laughs> you already look like a twig, so I don't know what 50 pounds looks like. Man, yeah, I was skinny. I rode in races back in the day, man. I'm trying to see if I, ha I have any pictures, but I don't have any pictures up here of me. Uh, although I don't know if that would do much good on a podcast, showing you pictures. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, hey, I guess the uh, imagination let it run wild. Uh, yeah. The Tapita, though, I mean, what's, it, what's the big difference in bringing a horse that's you know, maybe a grass horse onto the tapita. Is there, is there something you're looking for? Or is it kind of like, hey, you know, uh, let's try it. Let's just throw it out there and see what happens. Let's get weird about it. I know people put a lot of emphasis. I was watching TVG and they're talking, like trying to tell everybody how to handicap the tapita. And I mean, for me, it's pretty straightforward. Like if they like the grass and their grass horses, they probably will like the tapita. I think you more have question marks with horses with dirt form that you try and bring on it. That's where you, uh, that's where you, you know, coach like the, that's, that's where the hard part would be. So for me, I'm only sending uh, grass horses. Mm -hmm. uh, and if I were handicapping out there, I would be handicapping uh, more emphasis on uh, turf form. If horses have good turf form, they'll probably run just fine on it. Um, and most of the grass horses train really well on it um you have to be careful like getting horses fit on it uh because it, it doesn't have a lot of a give um that's but that's a whole other side of things that's more training side you got to be worried about soft tissue injuries because when they hit the ground like it, mm -hmm. it every it's very it can be very jarring um but if for, for handicapping and and betting wise and and when i send horses over there i'm just sending grass horses I think that's something people might want to key in. Uh, I, I and one more thing, and I, I'm really excited about Turfway. I'm now, and this yeah, is this is going to be breaking news and a surprise to you and the listener. But I'm actually your boss now, and oh, uh, yeah. So funny story. Um, and so, uh, by the way, my first move is to let you do whatever the hell you need to do, and just let me well, know. Uh, so <laughs> good job, but no, uh, dream maker racing. Um, they great friends to this show they, uh, our friends, uh, Tom Gallo over there and Andrew Calvano, they called, they called me up a couple months ago and they said, Hey, we're, we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to pull the trigger and send some horses to Kentucky because everything just makes sense. How's it been working with those guys so far? And, uh, you know, You've got my horse, Rosalini, but you also got another hard knocker in New York, Jimmy Jazz, that just seems to like always find third. Um, I believe you have Plink Freud as well, who also, yep. it's always like third or fourth with that one. Um, what, what do you do with horses like that where uh, it, it's just like, you can tell there's talent there, but you cannot, you, you just don't know how much. A lot of questions there. Just go wherever you feel like. <laughs> yeah, Andrew and, and Tom are great. And obviously, you mentioned, you know, Andrew's been a close friend. Um, he's, you know, we've known each other for a long time. Um, and he started up with Dream Maker. And, and he's been telling me since his first day there, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working. I'm working on getting you some horses. Just hang tight and we'll make something happen. 
And, uh, you know, it all worked out. Like you said, this winter, they want to put the horses maybe through the sale, depending on how things go through the winter, the sales there, the, the February sales there in, uh, in Lexington. And, um, you know, they can race that turf way until this, until sale time starts. And, you know, let's make a little extra pocket money before we put them through the ring. Um, as far as, um, you know, assessing talent and placement, you know, sometimes it's just like when you claim horses, you know, you, you tweak a little thing here or there and, you know, we got two horses that came over from Tom Bush, who does a, a great job. Um, and the horses are very healthy and happy and, and doing well. But, you know, just little tweaks can, you know, doing little things differently, whether it's, you know, might not be right or wrong, but you just do things a, a little bit of a different way. And a horse will thrive in that kind of atmosphere. And, you know, I think I added some blinkers to Plink Freud. Um training her on the pony track and kind of uh, getting her to use herself and maybe simmer down a little bit. Cause she is a little bit on the engine. Um, you know, we added Jimmy jazz. We added blinkers to him. Unfortunately that race was short. I think if it was a two turn grass race, like he had been running, he would have really made some noise at least, especially if we'd gotten him in the never win two for 30, like he had ran in the time before he really came to run. He just kind of ran out of real estate, but um you know, those are pretty normal things. Uh, and Rosalini, she's over there at, uh, at Turfway. She's been, she got her first workout the other day. Um, so I'm excited about the way she's progressing. Uh, she's a lighter frame filly. Um, but, you know, these are kind of what I've made my career off of, just really honing in and the attention to the little details and just, you know, putting my touch on them. Uh, to help him get a maybe get a little bit something more out of them might just be the different make difference maker in those races when they finish third and fourth and just getting beat you know just little tweaks here and there um, and sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong but um, I think and what we bring not that I want to send horses away from myself but especially with the fillies that are difficult to train mm -hmm. I feel like they've really thrived uh, under my care you know come to mind like a palladian bridge uh, i claimed her she's in she's a new york bred 25 claimer that we we claimed and won the 2x the new york bred 2x twice with the open 1x and had her multiple stakes placed second actually in the garland of roses a few years ago that just ran this weekend but you know i think and, and you know it's funny because i worked for tony dutro when i came up in the game and tony um Tony always did really well with his fillies that he would claim not. I mean, he, he did well with everything that he claimed. And, uh, but I always thought that the fillies seemed to do better in the system. And I feel like for whatever reason, all the fillies that I've claimed have done uh, tremendously well. And I saying that, I mean, the Col I've claimed some really good Colts too, but I feel like the fillies really do well in this program. Well, I'm hopeful that when, uh, when you when these horses show up at Turfway, I get to see your ugly mug on the TV. That would be nice. <laughs> oh, one last question before I, I let you go here and get back to work and so you could actually eat dinner. Um, New York racing. We kind of we kind of heard like, man, this aqueduct meat's gonna be rough. Uh, we don't know if we have two cents to rub together. And turn we're we're here at Aqueduct now. Turns out uh, like the racing's been very good very competitive tough and um you know the purses are there 
it's it's a little bit different. It, it, do you see this being a little bit different of an aqueduct meet where, you know, come January 4th or, you know, December 19th, we're going to get decently sized fields or is the mass migration coming? God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> for you guys, it's great. For me, it sucks. Yeah, I know. I'm, it. I'm, it's been tough. Holy moly! I, I would look this. I was uh, I was sitting there looking at where I was saddling uh, overheated in the stake the other day, and I was uh, we were taking a shot, but I was sitting there next to Rob Atris, and I was like, "Man, this is freaking hard. This is tough in Saratoga." He said, "You don't have to tell me twice." He's like, "Man, I can't wait for this grass to end and all these guys to go south." He's like, "You got to be kidding me with this." Uh, I it'll lighten up. But they called um, uh, Martin uh, Panza and uh, and Keith that work in the racing office. You know they they do the book and they called me because they'd heard that I was going to Turfway and they were, you know, wanted to make sure I knew that they were you know going to be racing four days a week and the money was going back up. They have a surplus because they were being conservative and rightly so with the uh, you know the pandemic and and all everything going on and how we had to shut racing down and just to make sure we had enough money in case there was another shutdown, but they had, uh, you know, a pretty good surplus. So the purses have been bumped up and, and um, well, bumped up to where they were, but, you know, previously. So I think that enticed people to stay here. Um, also keeping the grass open, they have grass racing, even up until this week, I believe we have racing. Well, not, I believe I'm in some grass races on, you know, Thursday and Friday. And I know that they, I would imagine that they'll probably try and write races through this weekend and that be it. But I was talking to Christoph Clement and he was telling me how he's breezing horses at Payson Park and he's shipping them up here to run because, you know, the, the money is so good. And, you know, it's just, uh, you know, he's he, well, he's he can't do anything wrong. Yeah. Uh, Christoph, but you know that the money's so good up here and it's it, it's so tough down there in florida with multiple layers to it so you know I, I think you might see a little bit more of that this winter but it'll it'll lighten up you know you got guys that have been hanging around suge's been here he, he just left and i see all the brookled brookledge and sally vans are uh in full swing up here i've actually had trouble booking vans to turfway i've been trying to get six horses to get down there for the last week and a half and i haven't been able to so it's it'll lighten up big time here after the christmas break like i said i think the break goes till the 20th and then we're back racing here on the 31st in new york so it'll um it'll lighten up but i have a feeling it's gonna be uh you know a decent decent winter for gamblers uh, especially i have that feeling too and i, I mean mm -hmm. for me it's going to be uh aqueduct and turfway park um gulf string park could go straight to hell um <laughs> i mean let's you. let's let's not mince words we all know what happens down there okay oh uh, yeah it's brutal. <laughs> um but no, I can't wait to play now that I have a vested interest. That Turfway, I mean, they do a fantastic job over there. They do. And I was the first card the other night, man, that uh, was great. I, they have some absolute like killers. It's not nobodies. I mean, you're no, going in. It's cracking fields. I totally agree. I was watching racing just because I'm racing there now. I had the I had the one horse run, but now when I get home at night, like I'll go home and watch Turfway, and it's it's good stuff. 
Yeah, I can't wait to see uh, get get into it. Once college football ends here, by yeah. the way, uh, Army, Navy, take the under. I'm going to help you right now. And tonight, I'm telling you right now, tonight, Marquette first half. Marquette first half, that's my gift to you. As your boss, go out there, do what you will with it. Yes, sir. I, I know Sounds you good. know a guy. Um, anyway, Ray, it's been always a pleasure. Let's catch up uh, yeah, down the road again, man. But uh, until then, happy holidays. Let's talk after we win a couple races in a few weeks here. Hey, that sounds like a plan to me. Ray Handle, everybody. We'll Thanks, be back bro. right after this. Thank you. All right, joined at this time by a great friend of mine. He's a returning guest. The past is alive, at past underscore alive on Twitter. John Jabs. John, how are you, brother? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back again, Al. Pleasure to hey, be here. Hey, man, I, I we just got off a, a really fun time opening up a box of 93 Pinnacle uh the link is out there i i've tweeted about it you've tweeted about it uh how we get there i i mean first of all describe the the box break itself and and you know how do we settle on 93 pinnacle well 93 pinnacle obviously we're chasing after the jeter rookie card which has been uh increasingly a hot card over the years and that's one i've never ever opened up before so whenever i do box breaks um, I try to find a good identifying card, like a rookie card or, you know, insert stuff of that nature that I haven't gone after yet to make it more appealing. You know, like when we were kids, that's a, a big reason why I would buy packs personally was to find insert cards, rookie cards, stuff of that nature. So that's kind of my process. And I've been doing it for uh, well over a year now. I think this is like tonight was like the 80 something episode of Turn Back the Clock Tuesday. So after a while, you start to run out of, you know, chase cards to go after. Because there's definitely quite a few years there in the late 90s, even like in the earlier 2000s, where there's not so many. So it kind of limits uh, the possibility of ripping certain boxes. But um, 93 boxes obviously have spiked a lot in price over the last few years, as I'm sure most people notice. Like a box of 93 SP is like $4,000, $5,000 now, which is not really feasible uh, to open. Uh, for myself at least, but uh, 93 Pinnacle, they're still affordable and you still have a chance to pull that Jeter. And I know we talked about that before with doing breaks. It's nice because you don't got to buy the whole box. The box of those nowadays, I mean, they can run upwards of like 150 bucks for the series with Jeter in it. But, you know, you buy a fraction of the box and you have a chance to pull that Jeter. And a lot of people nowadays are sending cards to be graded and there's a lot more uh, investors, I feel like, are in the hobby now going after these box breaks and whatnot to send these cards in to get graded. But that's primarily what I do. You know, I'll even take a Beckett Almanac. Those are released once a year. I'll go through, I'll try to find like more oddball boxes, stuff, even stuff I never got to experience. Like next week we're opening 2000 Stadium Club Chrome, the first year that they did that. And I never got to experience this as a kid. So for me, that's like, that's a big part of the fun and thrill is like, I never got to experience these. I've never seen them. Uh, you know, it's kind of like going back and being a kid again and reliving that all over. So uh, it's very, very exciting. That's that's a that's mainly the a big part of why I do it is to try to get people hyped and excited on like you know going back to these older years and chasing these rookie cards or inserts or even you know seeing cards that they they've never seen before. 
Yeah, and you'll have to check in to find out if if we did find that Jeter. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. And we were talking, we were hemming and hawing back and forth for quite some time about what box to select before we settled on the 93 pinnacle. What were some of the other boxes we had in mind? I know I brought up uh, 06 Bellman Chrome. You brought up a couple. What, uh, talk about what the pros and cons to the other ones were. Yeah, so the 06 Chrome, I, there wasn't really anything too crazy as far as rookies go. 06 Bowman Chrome, you have a Verlander rookie card. But, I mean, it's considered a rookie card, but some people would uh, contest that just because he has – Verlander's rookie cards were found in the 05 set, so he has a 2005 Bowman Chrome card as well. So that's kind of why we decided against that. Plus the boxes of those were – I felt like they are priced a little more than they should be. Um you know, for based off of what's in there. And there's definitely some other ones I'd like to go into, but like I was saying before, those, some of these early 2000 stuff, like there's obviously 2001, the pull Hulse rookie card is a big one, the Ichiro. But the problem with those like 2000, 2001, stuff like that, the, the cards are notorious for breaking up. So if you want to try to pull like a pull Hulse uh, rookie card out of uh, 01 traded, you're going to be paying like 700 bucks for a box of those. And there's a good chance that all the cards could be ruined. And I've seen people do that. I've seen people go after like the Ichiro rookie card out of like um, series two tops from 2001 and just horrible paper loss. Absolutely horrible. So not really worth it to spend a few hundred bucks to go after those. So I know we did kick some ideas around and whatnot, but um, it's just like a light bulb turned on. I'm like, wait a second. I've never opened 93 pinnacle. And these ones are like, you know, boxes of these are still pretty easily obtainable for the most part. You're not going to be paying close to a thousand bucks for a box. You know, you can get one for upwards of 150. You can have a good time and still, you know, possibly pull like a high grade Jeter. Yeah. And, and the thing too, I think I also mentioned uh, 96 Upper Deck SPX, I think was yep. another one that we were looking at. That was one I, I just ripped a few months ago, and that was a good one, too. And I was looking into 97, even 97 SPX, and I couldn't even find a box of those. So some of those ones, the, the more, like, oddball ones like those, a um, little tougher to track down. And if you do track them down, uh, you, they might be very expensive. Because yeah, that's true. That's limited. true. So. <laughs> And here's what I would ask you, you know, I've seen a lot of people online, especially over quarantine period, looking to get into a new hobby, card collecting is much more on the internet nowadays, you can buy and sell cards and boxes and, and cases. Uh, what, what's your take on where the industry is going? I mean, you, you do a different kind of show. You're... you're opening these older boxes and it seems like everybody's, you know, you're not playing, you're not paying an arm and a leg. And there's other channels out there that are opening up $1,500, $2,500 right off the rack um, boxes. What's your opinion on those, those two differences? Well, there's a lot of risk that comes with that. You know, I'm sure we've all seen it. I've seen, you know, those $2,000 boxes and stuff like that. And the payoff, 
um, from what I've seen a lot of the time, you end up with like a patch card of somebody, you know, uh, which I've actually just saw recently. I, I believe somebody opened a pretty high end box and they got like a patch card of like George Springer or someone like that. So for me, I'd rather spend, you know, 200 bucks going after some of these rookie cards or even inserts or even a little less than that. I, I try to make it, um, you know, I try to do boxes for the most part that everyone can go out and buy and like have a good time and enjoy. Whereas like the state of the hobby from what it seems like, it just keeps getting more and more crazy, more and more risk taking. Um, and that's just, that's not really something that, um, you know, pertains to me. Um, I'm more about doing it for the memories and um, just trying to get people inspired to do the same thing, to go back to their roots. And a lot of people, I feel like that watch my channel, um, they're just coming back to the hobby after like a 20 or 30 year hiatus even. And um, what better place to start than grabbing a box for 50 bucks and just, you know, ripping it yourself or with your friends for some fun, looking for some of these rookie cards or players that you looked up to as a kid. I don't think it gets more fun than that. Whereas the modern stuff, there's so much risk, you know, you'd be chasing after these rookie cards that literally uh, have zero value, you know, next season. Uh, so, whereas the vintage stuff or the older stuff, it's never really going to decrease in value. It really has nowhere to go, but up, at least that's the way that I see it. Well, I mean, I can speak firsthand whenever I see you opening up a box from 93, 94, 95, and it's like, oh man, I had these cards and I get really excited about the nostalgia factor. Um, going forward, do you plan on, I, I know you open up in uh, Jampex uh, boxes and those have been very, very uh, successful. I mean, you can't get an old school Jampex box at all. Um, right. Have you ever thought about doing something along those lines? Like uh, starting a subscription box? Uh, something like that, yeah. yeah. I've definitely had people um, that have you know inquired about that and asked me and uh, for my thoughts on it and whatnot, if I would ever start one up. I don't know if I would ever really start one up with packs and whatnot, just because it's, it's too hit or miss. I mean, box prices are crazy right now. So I feel like, you know, if you're a business like that, like Jam Packs, you have to continuously adjust your prices like where the market's at. And I've noticed that with other subscription boxes, you know, um, just like Jam Packs, you know, he offers a pack of top loaders in there. So, and, re, you know, as of this year, top loader prices and supply prices like skyrocket. It's crazy. You know, you used to be able to get a pack of top loaders for two bucks. Now they're like five to eight dollars at like card shops. So you have to keep adjusting your prices with where the market's at. And even all the boxes have gone up. You know, we used to find these older boxes, more like junk wax era stuff um, for five, 10 bucks at a flea market. Now they're 20 to 30 bucks a box. So, and uh, not to mention, you know, like we talked about before in the last podcast, you know, those boxes are depleting. Yeah. So I don't think that I would ever personally start one just because I feel like it would just stress me out too much to constantly having to find boxes if I were to start one, it would probably be, it wouldn't be a subscription box. It'd be more like a grab box where, you know, 10 bucks and you get uh, 200, you know, star player cards or something like along those lines. I, I definitely thought about that recently. So that would probably be uh, the gist of it. If I would ever do something along those lines for any kind of uh, box. I, and that sounds like a fun idea. I, I would ask you too, you know, since we're along the 
these lines. You made your, you cut your teeth on a lot of videos uh, at the flea markets, at the local card shops. If for somebody jumping into baseball card or hockey card or basketball card, whatever, et cetera, uh, where's the best place that you find to be as far as get finding cards and, and if you're trying to collect again? You know, I just actually had somebody message me earlier on Facebook and, and asked me about that. They said they live out in West, um, I believe in Oklahoma, I think they said. And they said, look, you know, how do you find all this stuff? You guys have a gold mine around you. You know, I only have two card shops around me and that's it and nothing else. I'm like, well, the first thing I always tell people like Facebook Marketplace, I've found quite a few good things on there. It's not always awesome. Sometimes you'll find, you know, common cards from the early 90s for 200 bucks and stuff, especially now the state of the hobby, which is how popular it is. People are really trying to get, um, you know, all they can for their collections or boxes or anything like that. But I would say start Facebook Marketplace, go on there. You can uh, adjust like the rate, like the range that you're looking in. You can put like 30 miles, 50 miles, even 100 miles. And uh, I also know a lot of people that have found some pretty awesome gems on there. Whole collections of wax boxes, cases, even, you know, vintage like singles. Uh, so I'd say start there. Also, auctions are pretty awesome too for finding collections. You go on auctionzip.com, amazing website. Same thing with that. You can put in your zip code. You can type in baseball cards in the search bar. And then that will, um, you know, give you search results of a bunch of auctions around you. Estate sales, another one. You can go to Google and type in like estate sales sales near me. Estate uh, sale finder is a website that'll bring up all your local listings. I found collections doing that. And personally, cleanouts. You know, guys that do cleanouts um, seem to always have great collections that they come they come across. And they don't. They their whole business is just to move the stuff as quick as possible. So. They don't spend time, you know, selling individual cards. They're just like, you want this whole box? Give me, what, what will you give me for it? Basically. So I've gotten some pretty awesome deals. And there was a video I did. Um, I think it was like in the springtime or over summer where I went to a warehouse in Pittsburgh and met this guy who does cleanouts. And he had this huge collection. My only regret is not buying more because he had tons of boxes. He had uh, football, he had basketball, hockey, baseball. That's where I got the 89 per deck low series boxes for $10 a piece because I didn't even see them. I saw like 91 tops and I was like, what do you want for these wax boxes? He's like, you know, what's a fair price? I bought 10 bucks. I'm like, okay, cool. And then, you know, I started finding 89 per deck, 89 Fleer, stuff like that. And he's like, yeah, I don't care. I just take it for 10 bucks. I'm like, wow, that is an incredible deal. Those boxes of low series now are like $300 or in that range. So for $10 a piece and um, you get like you know, a lot of pop culture stuff, action figures from the nineties, but I left the hockey, the football behind is, I don't know enough about it. Um, so. Is that something you would consider doing hockey and football? See, I've had other people ask me about that too. I just, I, I never really um, studied any of that, any, any other sports other than baseball or, or really got, too into it you know I played I played basketball obviously as a kid and I played for quite a few years I had friends that were real into hockey you know at one part I think we talked about this in the last podcast where I had Johnny's card shop in my basement yeah. and everything else and uh you know I obviously sold all four sports and I I knew a lot about a lot more about it back then but um, over the years I just 
I feel like I'm way too rusty and um, I don't know enough about it to make it entertaining enough for people to watch. You know, I'd be, I'd be passing over hall of famers and everything else. I'm sure. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's fair enough. And I'll tell you, I had a blast on your show. Hopefully we can do it again. Um, and that was awesome. Yeah. Was it was a lot of fun. Sponsoring the box. That was really, really awesome of you. No, you know what? It's one of those things where I, I love your channel um, and you've given me so much and I wanted to give back to the community there that, and, and it's a strong community that follows you. I mean, we had, uh, over, well over a hundred people watching the whole time. Yeah. I think we had a hundred peak in there tonight. So that's pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. And already I just looked on, on YouTube and almost 600 people already have watched it. So it, it, it's a it's a core group it's a core base uh great people great times uh where can people find you on youtube and twitter now so on youtube it's just the past is alive um you'll find me on there and you'll find me doing um older box breaks every tuesday night usually around 8 15 8 30 eastern time and i'm new to twitter uh twitter my handle is past underscore alive so i just made one of those uh thanks to al and I'm going to start posting more and more frequently on there, you know, local pickups of toys, baseball cards, you know, upcoming breaks, things of that nature, just news and things like that. Hey, just trying to uh, help you get into the 21st century here, brother. Um, <laughs> need, to, need the assistance doing that. <laughs> hey, look, man, it, you know, uh, it, teamwork makes the dream work over here. Pass is alive. John Jabs. John, thank you so much. Hopefully next time we, we collab on something, we can do it in person. There, there's some yep. nice shops in Maryland. There's some really nice places up there. So hopefully we can meet up. And, uh, you know, yep. even in Northern Virginia, they got that big show up at Dulles uh, Trade Center. So uh, yep. I, know, I know your brother Eric has gone down there. I'd love to host you and, and come on down and let's go uh, – spend egregious amounts of money on sports cards that sounds great al all right we'll be back right after this with the college football preview hey everybody it's Stu from the Stucast, inviting you to check out the starter allowance podcast hosted by andrew grismore Every single week, he's dropping great content with amazing guests and a lively handicapping roundtable, looking at big races every single week across the country. Check him out wherever you're getting your podcasts. He is part of the StuCast Sports Network. Let's go play some ponies and let's cash some tickets. All right, we're back. Last segment of the show, and as always, it's college football preview time. Bobcat is out prowling around. He's looking for feral animals to uh, eat, so we're going to let him do that. So tonight, it's just me and Chris Van Dyne of uh, North Coast Sports. Chris, as always, it's good to have you back on, man. I'm glad to be here, Stu. Uh, a lot of fun last week, and we had a heck of a week in North Coast sports. And uh, had a heck of a week in a podcast. I got to brag a little bit. I, I 
told you I was going to have a good week, I thought, and I uh, definitely did. But uh, we had our December game of the month, Stu, last weekend. It was Clemson that came through. A little dicey in the first half. But uh, Tigers did what the Tigers do in the second half and won that game 45 to 10, given little more than three touchdowns. Uh, we went five and one on our college sides. And got to be honest, I didn't really feel like any of them were lucky. Uh, we had uh, Tulane against Memphis. They, they, you know, they pulled away at the end of that game, one by two touchdowns. We had t uh, TCU was a solid play against Oklahoma State. Uh, only loser was Oklahoma. We had Alabama against LSU. Uh, you know, so it was a good week there. And our, our power sweep did pretty well. We lost our top play on Oklahoma. But uh, overall, good week. And we got our totals game of the year, which we've won the last three years. Last year, it was uh, Virginia Tech and Pitt under. We took the Hokies uh, in Bud Foster's last home game. They shut the Panthers out 28 nothing. That was our totals game of the year. So excited for that. Uh, really going to hope, hope to have a good weekend this week at North Coast Sports. Yeah, and uh, podcasts, too. The podcast came, came out today, correct? Yes, and I'll tell you what, our podcast sides are red hot. We, me and Robbie DePola have combined in the last three weeks on our podcast for our side plays to go 11 and 0. Wow. Uh, last week, I gave out uh, Penn State, which I also gave out on your podcast. And uh, my other play, which escapes me now, I can't believe I'm forgetting. Um, I'll have to think about that and it will come back to me. Uh, you know what? I think I have it here. No, I don't. I can't remember what it was. You know what's crazy, Chris, is we were talking like a week or two ago about how, how how you can get into these funks in college football where, like, you're seeing the ball and then a weekend comes and you just get sideswiped. I mean, it, it yep. just happens. Inevitably, during the college football season, no matter how hot you're running, there's going to be a week where stuff happens and it doesn't make any sense, especially this year. I've had a couple of reset buttons last week. And I agree with you. I wish, I wish I had the guts to play the Penn state. Cause you're right. That was a ballsy play. I, I, I didn't think Penn state was rounding in the form, but it looks like they kind of are. Um, but yeah, we'll they dominate that game completely, but they're, they're turning it around and, uh, they're getting better week by week, and I just think they were an unfortunate team coming into that game. Their record could be a lot better if they caught a couple breaks and, you know, a couple things went differently. Sure. Well, we and got the other play I had last week was Texas A&M. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Well, everybody and their mother had Texas A&M. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Which they dominated that game a lot more than the 11-point margin of victory in the end. Yeah, Bobcat needed the over, but unfortunately – and by the way, I just want to point out, a lot of my late editions, in fact, 100% of my late editions this year have been uh, really based on late-breaking information that I hear only on this podcast. And I got to say, you know, I hate to say it, but I'm undefeated. I mean, uh, you get a guy on here uh, just loves West Virginia. If you fade them, you win money. So shout out to late-breaking information. Speaking of which, uh, got a little juicy tidbit for you before we kick off into the games. You know, we're, we have friends all across the country, and some of our sources from Tuscaloosa that are close 
to the to the medical uh, staff down there. Um, they're actually saying that Jalen Waddle, he is pseudo cleared to play. He's ready to play. Uh, he's he's cleared in a certain sense. It's up to him if he in in the coaching staff if they want to get him a rep, show him uh, show him off. Uh, you know now SEC championship college football playoff, but expect to see him uh, bef- rather, sooner rather than later. I would say. So uh, not that Alabama needs it, but some uh, info from our friends down in Titletown. So. Uh, Friday, we got three games on the slate here. Uh, Friday, uh, we're going to start off a fantastic game. San Jose State, given two and a half. The Spartans at home, given two and a half. Uh, total, eight, 58 and a half. Uh, Chris, why don't you start off here? All right, this definitely looks like an even game to me. I like both teams a lot, so it's hard for me to go either way. Um, Nevada coming in off a off a good win against Fresno, you know, and I'll admit they uh, Fresno surprised me. That was one of our late phones plays last week. Was Nevada? It was a three star and power sweep. We thought we'd control that game a little better. That took a little luck. Uh, Hayner for court, the quarterback for Fresno really did a good job shredding Nevada's pass D. Uh, but, uh, you know, Nevada came up with some plays. They also made some mistakes of their own. Carson Strong threw an interception in the end zone or close to the end zone uh, in the fourth quarter that kind of scared the living daylights out of me because I thought that was going to be the turnaround that Fresno needed to be able to win that game. But, uh, you know, Nevada got it done. Nevada is coming in plus 81 yards per game. Their offense is averaging 43 yards per game more than their opponents allow. And last week, I I felt like that was a little bit of an anomaly with their pass D. Their pass defense had not played like that prior. San Jose State's got a heck of a team. Their defense is playing really well, only giving up 347 yards per game, holding opponents 21 yards per game under their average. You know, they, they have some good wins under their belt. They beat San Diego State by 11. Uh, coming off an 11-point road win at Hawaii. They're, they're also a team that's kind of in this weird fluctuation. They're playing this game in Nevada. Uh, it was supposed to be a home game for San Jose State, but, uh, you know, the COVID situation has uh, basically kicked them out of the out of the area until uh, things calm down so they can no longer play their games at home. They're not even practicing at home. And, you know, it's just a lot for me to uh, consider the, these college kids to handle. I, I, I think they might be in for a flat effort. They're coming off a long trip to Hawaii that they weren't expecting to take. That was, you know, that was also, I believe, supposed to be a home game that they had to move. Um, I think that Nevada is going to be a, a little more in, in better shape to play this game. Uh, and they've got the offense to do it. They've got great receivers, Romeo Dubs, Cole Turner couple of guys that uh, have really shown that they can move the ball downfield. Dubs has 877 yards, explosive downfield receiver, 20.4 yards per catch. Cole Turner is a huge, uh, kind of a one of those flex tight end guys. He's really just a big, big receiver. They've got 15 touchdowns combined between the two of them. You know, San Jose State, like I said, they've got a heck of a defense. I think this game is going to be one in the fourth quarter. 
I just think that all the traveling the San Jose State that ha- has had to do and not actually getting to play this game at home is going to wear them down a little bit. Uh, and I'm going to take uh, Nevada. You know, this is the best team that Jay Norvell's had. I think they're going to pull this game out. I like Carson Strong to get it done in the fourth quarter and lead them to victory by, by a field goal. You know, this is a very pro Wolfpack podcast. They are a podcast team. Uh, I agree with you. This, this one just screams like it's going into the fourth quarter. I'm a, If I'm picking teams, I'm going to give a slight edge to San Jose State. They seem like they – They've gotten a, they're more well-rounded, I should say, offense. And defensively, I would put them number two in the conference right behind maybe Boise State uh, as far as defensive, if I was going to put defensive units up there. I I think this team is just too solid and too balanced uh, against the Wolfpack. I would lean towards them. But I'm really kind of interested in this over. 58 and a half. I mean, I could see this being a 37-30 type game. Um, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm more than likely just going to sit back and watch. This screams like maybe a watch game um, and just enjoy it. Because this these are two football teams that come bowl season, you're going to want to have your eye on who they're playing. I think I saw Nevada scheduled to play like Kent State. Nevada will wreck Kent State. San Jose, San Jose State will wreck somebody from Conference USA or the AAC. They will, they will wreck somebody. You know, one other thing I I like about Nevada in this game is I I just think that Nick Starkle he's played okay this year, but the defenses he's played against haven't been great. Hawaii, UNLV. New Mexico Air Force. Remember, he got hurt early in that San Diego State game, and I think that the switch to the uh, more of a running quarterback and Nick Nash kind of gave San Jose State a little bit of a surprise element against the Aztecs. So, I mean, and you've seen you've seen Nick Starkle play from going back to his SEC days. That guy loved throwing the ball to the other team, and I think in a big game like this, I think he might end up doing that. So that's. But I, 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 I think I, I think it's very possible this thing turns into an air show. I agree. I agree. Um, anyway, uh, I, think next... I think the air show angle of it I think favors Nevada because I I think yeah. they have the better offensive weapons. Uh, yeah, I mean, and Romeo Dubs is the best wide receiver west of the Mississippi. Yeah. And I'm, I, I wish somebody could prove me wrong on that, but watching him this season, west of the Mississippi River, give me Romeo Dubs. He'll be playing in the NFL, and he's got a cool-ass name. Yeah. Um, and you're right. This is this can be an awesome game. I'm not betting it. I'm just going to watch it. Yep. Uh, bet these teams come bowl season. Uh, yes. The game. The best game, the best rivalry game in all the land. Army, Navy, go Army, beat Navy, those fucking punks. Army, lane seven, over under 38. I'm going to tell you right now, Army's winning this game. Uh, You know, the song says it all. The Army keeps rolling along, and that's exactly what we're going to do on Saturday. There's not much thought behind it. Get on the winning team. Look, we go out there. We actually, you know – 
shoot, bang, bang, fight people. Uh, we don't sit on ships with each other, playing checkers and whatever, swab the decks. These are a bunch of people that are lemmings. Give me, oh, uh, thank you for your service though. But give me army, uh, the Black Knights. What a great name too. You got, you got Mitchie Stadium, best stadium in all college football. You've got amazing uniforms. If we're talking uniform games, Army's got this one. Army's laying 28. Uh, every way you look at this, Jeff Monken is just fantastic. He's, he's hilarious. He's a great coach. Um, I mean, we might as well just take the Commander-in-Chief trophy. It, it's, it's too easy. Give me, give me Army in a bloodbath. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to go with a bloodbath, especially not with uh, two storied uh, <laughs> service academies. I don't Maybe have it was a little strong. Maybe it was a little strong. Yeah, especially especially with what these kids commit to. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't have I don't have near the uh, the hatred for Navy that you do. But um, I'm, you're going to have to tell me why later. Uh, because I, I army. I, I don't. Know. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I think this, you know, it's there's one way to bet this game every year. I'm going to get into that later. But as far as the side play, I'm going to agree with you on Army. I'm going to play Army. Uh, I, I take Army minus seven. Uh, not real big on the side, but Navy's offense is really struggling. They've only scored 13 points in the last two games. Their defense has really come on, though. I will say that their defense has been actually much improved. This isn't the defense that you saw BYU just decimate. Uh, I mean, that 10-7 to Memphis game blew my mind. Yeah, and then, you know, what, 19-6 against Tulsa. They, they held both Tulsa and Memphis, who both have good offenses under 300 well, I don't think Tulsa has a good offense. I, 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 am, I am firmly of the opinion Zach Smith is atrocious. But, uh, yeah, the, the defense ain't playing bad. They're holding opponents 26 yards per, per game below their average. But their running game. For, for a Navy offense is just not what we're used to. They're running back. Their quarterbacks can't run the ball, and that is where their bread and butter has been for years. If their quarterback can't run the ball, the, the offense does not work. So, you know, that's why they're averaging less than 300 yards per game. And when have you ever heard of Navy averaging less than four yards a carry and less than 200 rushing yards a game running the triple option? Army, on the other hand, averages 297 rushing yards a game, five yards a carry. Uh, and their defense is still stout. They're holding opponents 102 yards per game under their average. They just faced an option team in Georgia Southern. A little bit of a different option, but it is an option. They've already faced the Citadel this year, which is a true triple option team. So uh, they've, they've had plenty of time to prep for this. I think that uh, Army – should win this game between 10 and 14 points. Uh, and I'll, uh, as one of my locks later, I will uh, be giving out a, a play in the total. All right, before we get the locks, though, we've got UNC and the U, the U given three over under 67 and a half. Uh, why don't you kick us off with this one? 
Well, uh, it's an interesting game. You know, both teams are off blowout wins where they kind of got to be rested. North Carolina beat a FCS school while Miami beat what looks like an FCS school right now in Duke. You ain't uh, kidding. Yeah, both explosive offenses. North Carolina plus 131 yards per game. They've held the yardage edge against everyone except for Notre Dame that they've played. Miami plus 79 yards per game, only outgained by Clemson and Louisville, which was the third game of the season. Uh, Canes are averaging 57 yards per game more than their opponents allow. North Carolina averages 106 yards per game more than opponents allow. So I, I give the offensive edge a little bit to North Carolina, particularly at running back with their two uh, stud running backs, Michael Carter and Javante Williams, who I think by the end of the year will both be over 1,000 yards. They're both over uh, uh, 900 already. North Carolina averages 219 rushing yards a game, 5.4 yards per carry. Miami has the defensive edge, but they're going to be without their top cornerback, Al Blades, who has uh, two interceptions, seven pass breakups this year. He had he contracted COVID, then uh, they diagnosed him with myocarditis. So he's going to be out for the next three months, I guess, unfortunately. Um, but that's a big loss in the secondary for Miami. They do. Miami does a good job stopping the run, but this is where I think North Carolina wins this game. The two worst defensive performances for for Miami this year were against the two teams that run the ball the best that they faced. Louisville and Clemson, they allowed over 200 rush yards in each of those games, and obviously those are the two games they got outgained in, and again, they, they allowed over 500 yards in both those games. Uh, I think that that's going to happen here. I think North Carolina is going to run the ball well. I think they're going to end up pulling out uh, fourth quarter win another game I probably won't bet because I, I do think that there are some concerns with North Carolina my main concern with North Carolina though is their offensive line in the three games they've lost they've allowed 15 sacks in their seven wins they've allowed 14 sacks so they when they don't protect Sam Howell they don't do they don't nearly play as well Miami has 26 sacks this year, 11 coming in the last three games, and they have two stud defensive ends in Quincy Roche and Jalen Phillips, top-notch top notch pass rushers. I do think North Carolina will do a good enough job protecting Sam Howell, and I think they'll pull out the close win because of that explosive running game that's going to allow them to get some breathing room for Howell. Uh, uh, for me, I'm really interested to see what what's your take on De'Aaron King and how he's going to be able to – uh, go up against this North Carolina defense. Cause you know, uh, Paul scoop on the U or the scoop on you, excuse me, with my, my friend, Paul, uh, we, we go on there and we talk about these games and, and every single week I say the same thing. It's like Derek King has no wideouts. Like if KJ Osborne was on this team uh, this year, he'd be over a thousand yards receiving already. Uh, they're, they're like start and stop and go with this running game. Christian Harris is there. Then he's not, he's like David Copperfield and dear King is not the dear King. We saw at Houston. Uh, what, what do you think on this Miami offense? Well, I, I mean, it really is that I, I don't think he has the weapons at receiver. I, 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 you know, they're coming around. They've played better lately. Mike Harley, has had some decent games um, and, you know, Mark Pope's okay, but they don't have the downfield weapons and Brevin Jordan's a really good tight end, but he's a combo tight end. He blocks really well. He catches really well, but he's not 
like a uh, Kyle Pitts kind of guy that's going to take over a game in a tight end. You know, I was on a Mackey uh, award committee call the other day and I was talking to uh, some of the great tight ends. I, I was kind of in awe and some of those guys were saying, you know, Brevin Jordan, it's kind of a man alone out there that, you know, they don't have the players, a wide receiver that, uh, you know, you typically think Miami would. Mike Harley, though, like I said, he did have 100, 105 yards last week. Two catches against Duke, though. You know, he's had some good games. He had 10 catches against Virginia. But I, I, I think actually Derek King is doing a heck of a job considering really I don't think he's uh, 20 to 4 ratio. He's doing a decent job running the ball. He has a, almost 500 yards. So I, yeah, I just, I don't think that Miami has this, the, the wide receiver weapons that they need. This screams, this screams over to me, but. Yeah. But 67 and a half is a weird number. I would have expected it to be 71, 72, but 67 and a half gives me a pause for a second. Uh, is the over a play for you here if you're going to play it? Could, yeah, we're looking at it. We're, we're going to take a little bit deeper dive into the over. Uh, the thing that scares me about that over is Miami has played back to back lower scoring games, they, ha they have some lower scoring games that they've played this year, you know, they played Virginia tech. I thought was going to be way high scoring and ended up 25, 24. Um, they did shut out Duke, you know, it's no big deal. The Virginia game was low scoring, but that was mostly because of the rain. Um, and North Carolina trying to figure out what happened against Notre Dame. I think it was mostly just, they couldn't run the ball, but yeah. uh, you do expect North Carolina to put up some points on almost anybody. And I think they'll be able to run the ball against Miami. And if they can run the ball, they will score points in this game. And I, I think they can score a lot of points. So I, we're definitely looking at the over. It's going to be something we're going to look at for Saturday for our total game of the year. All right, beautiful. Now locks and keys. Now the Bobcat, he would be leading us off because even after uh, his week last week, uh, I believe he's 27 and 32 on the season. Uh Still can't get uh, over 500. He was alive to a, uh, a nice little score, uh, but he had Oregon State money line. And I was like, well, how much was, was the payoff if you took Oregon State out? And he's like, oh, it was like, you know, a couple grand. And I'm like, all right, there you go. Just don't take him on the money line. <laughs> this guy, I in-game bet it at, at, at halftime and won with him. So at least somebody on this podcast wins when they bet the pack. Yeah, I I, I like the money line game sometimes, but you know I, you can't get carried away with it. Sometimes uh, Bob Bobcat loves to he go he goes all in. I'll give it. To oh yeah, yeah. He uh, he attacks with ferocious intensity. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go um, with my locks and keys. Thirty eight and thirty one. I'm barely leading in this. Uh, when percentage-wise, you're creeping up on me. Uh, I'm going to start. I, I like a couple uh, Mountain West games. Uh, give me Boise minus 12 and a half against Wyoming. No excuse from Wyoming last week. I, I don't know where that game came from, but it scares me. I don't care if they're playing out in Laramie. Uh, I, like, uh, I like the Broncos here, provided it doesn't get canceled. Uh, I did like Purdue, uh, but that's canceled. Uh, Fresno State minus 11 and a half. I, 
I'm not buying New Mexico and Fresno State. We were talking, Chris. That's a sneaky good team. So I kind of like them. Um, Love I'm gonna, Yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep riding the train against Michigan State. I mean, it, it, we've seen Peyton Thorne. I thought he acquitted himself pretty well. But, you know, after the game, they were asking Mel Tucker, hey, Mel, why didn't you go for it fourth and one, you know, at, at your own 45 uh, late in the game? And, and he said, well, because we can't make it. We can't make it a yard against Ohio State's backups. Um, that'll pretty much let you know where Michigan State's at. Uh, I think they maybe get a touchdown, but this is very reminiscent of the Rutgers game to me. Um, so I, I, I think Penn State minus 15, eh, I'd like to get it under 14 if possible, but I feel like it's going to keep inching up. So I, I'll take Penn State minus 15, minus 14 and a half where you can get it. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take a long look. I, I'm going to add it as a play. Iowa, Wisconsin, under 42. Look, I think both these defenses are a lot better than the offenses are. Uh, I think everything Iowa wants to do as far as having uh, the run game set up the pass uh, for Petrus, because I, I don't think they trust them, and I won't either. I think Wisconsin does really good against the run, and the passes is so-so. And this, Graham Mertz, we got to wait a year or two, folks. I, I, I just don't buy it. So under 42, I'm going to take it. I suggest you get it earlier than later, um, just based on the weather this, uh, this weekend in the Midwest. And then I, I'm not stealing it uh, from you, Chris. Uh, I, I, I've got the same play that you do in the Army, Navy, un, under 38. Um, I'll let you expand on it a little bit more, but, uh, yeah, so th those are five plays for me. Uh, it's a rough card this week. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going all in this week. I'll say that much. I agree that we, uh, we were coming up with our power suite plays and it was thinner than it's ever been when it comes to what our star rated plays and power sweep are. I, I, Felt like we might have reached on one in particular, but we were kind of desperate, and it was it was a tough card. And we had our four star canceled. Our four star power sweep play was Purdue. Unfortunately, that is out. Uh, I'm going to start with an underdog play, and I know uh, I know some people are going to look at this one and kind of scratch their head, but I'm going to go with Mississippi State. Now, I, I think I have some good reasons here, and I'm going to start with their quarterback, Will Rogers who is playing a lot better lately. Uh, you know, he's beginning of the year. It, it was a struggle for him uh, or, or when he was uh, getting playing time, splitting with KJ Costello uh, through some interceptions here and there. I mean, and you look, he, he had a rough game against Alabama. I mean, what do you expect? But since he's taken the job over full time, he threw for 226 against Vanderbilt. No big deal, but that was his first full action. Only, you know, he played the whole game, but he didn't throw any interceptions. So decent effort. 
comes back and throws for 336 against Georgia, 41 of 52 passing and a touchdown. And then he has his best effort of the season, 45 for 61, 440 and three touchdowns against Ole Miss. So that's a five to zero ratio and throwing for 334 passing yards, uh, increasing the amount of passing yards he's thrown for each of the last three games. So I, I think that Mississippi State is playing better. They're starting to figure out this air raid offense under Mike Leach. Auburn, on the other hand, I'm not sold on them. I haven't been sold on them all year. The, you know, the, the defense is okay, but they've, they're giving up 65% uh, passing completions. They've gotten run on by some teams. Granted, Mississippi State's not going to run the ball on them. But the defense as a whole, they're, they're just okay. They don't have a great pass rush. They're only getting 19 sacks. And I think one of the keys, you know, everyone says drop eight in the zone against uh, Mississippi State. I think one of the, the keys to beating Mississippi State is if you're going to drop eight in the zone, you have to pressure the quarterback with a three-man rush. Some of the teams that have played Mississippi State have been able to do that. Uh, you know, earlier in the season, AM, Kentucky did a great job getting pressure despite only rushing three and four guys. Uh, lately, they've done a better job. They only gave up one sack against Ole Miss, only two against Georgia. That's why the offense is starting to perform better. And you've got uh, Auburn, only 19 sacks on the season. They don't rush the passer particularly well this year. It's been kind of a disappointing season. Tank Bigsby's been banged up. Came back and played better last week. But, you know, they, they were pretty outplayed, dominated last week. They've lost two games in a row. Their confidence is down. They've been lucky in some of their wins. Even against Tennessee, you take out that pick six that uh, Jared Garantano threw. If, if Tennessee scores on that possession, they probably would win that game. Tennessee outgained Auburn by 79 yards. And, you know, who knows who'd win. I, I think the Tennessee-Mississippi State would be a, a neck-and-neck game. You're giving me six-and-a-half points at home, and Bo Nix is a turnover machine on the road. He's only completing in his uh, uh, 10 road starts now. He's only completing 54% with an 11 to 12 ratio. I'll, I'll take Mississippi State uh, in the points here. And, you know, last week, I know that a lot of people looked at us sideways when they saw under Rice was our underdog play of the week at plus 22 and a half. Shout and out look Rico up. Bosco with the uh, with the 15 unit loss on Marshall. Yeah, 15 units. That's insane. Um, but you know, Rice wins 20 to nothing, despite the fact they didn't even have their starting quarterback, who was ruled out for the game a couple hours before the game. Well, he didn't actually travel, but uh, no one knew about that until a few hours before the game. Rice still won the game 20 to nothing. Shut Marshall down. Marshall is a terrible, uh, terrible home favorite. Uh, next, I'm going to go back to Penn State. Used them last week. I'm going to use them again, just like you mentioned. Michigan State's really struggling right now. Penn State's turning that corner. Uh, offense playing better, and they've got a true freshman running back. Kevon Lee has uh, done a good job last two weeks. Offense ran for 254 and 248 against Michigan and Rutgers. Only Michigan and Rutgers, but they're only playing Michigan State this week. Their defense is holding opponents 78 yards per game below their average, only allowing 327 yards a game. They're better than their record indicates. They should have beat Indiana. They had them beat at the end. They severely outgained them. They played Ohio State close into the fourth quarter, only lost by 13. They had a slow start against Nebraska, came back, nearly tied the game, outgained Nebraska by over 200 yards. 
this is a better team than their record, and they should be laying more than 15, 14 and a half against Michigan State. So I'll take the Nittany Lions to continue. Uh, and, and I think that James Franklin's building that momentum going into the offseason. They win this week. They're going to have a winnable game. In the well, championship. he has to. He has to because I, yeah. I think the way – you can write off this year as COVID as much as you want to. Um, but, you know, Penn State's riding that rail. And, and you can look at what happens when you fall off the rail as in Ann Arbor. Um, right. You, you can kiss away, you know, signing with the stars and Migos isn't going to show up and high five the kids, you know, <laughs> it's just it, Franklin's got a very precarious position because he is essentially Texas A&M yep. and, and you got to keep it competitive with Bama every year and you got to win. But the problem is you just can't get the kids to win and they, you got a juggernaut you're going against. Yeah. Cool stat uh, with, with James Franklin. Uh, he's a momentum coach. And when his team starts winning games, they continue to win games. He is 28-10-1 against the spread when his team's coming off a straight-up win. So bet Penn State when they're off a win. Be careful. Here's another, with them. Here's another stat for you. Maybe you can use this on the next pod uh, you do with, with the boys at uh, North Coast. James Franklin still doesn't know how to use timeouts and what they're for. So there, that I, there is coaches, that. A lot of coaches don't though. I don't think they play enough uh, NCAA 14. Uh, they need to play a little bit more NCAA 14. Maybe they'll figure out how to use timeouts. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, Going to go back to uh, that Army-Navy game for my next play. Army-Navy under 38. I know you're going to hear 38 and think, oh, hell no. But understand one thing. This game has gone under 14 straight years. No matter what the total, it keeps going under. This is the lowest total that they've ever had, and it did hit 38 points last year. But uh, this is kind of a different game because Navy can't run the ball this year. And if Navy can't run the ball against Army's Army's defense, which, you know, they, they always prep for the option. I just don't see how Navy's going to score points. Um, on the flip side, you know, Army's offense has been decent, but uh, Navy's defense has shut some pretty decent teams down. Uh, they're, and you expect this game to be low scoring for a couple of reasons. As you know, there's going to be a lot of time running off the clock because all they're doing is running the ball. There's going to be low possessions. Uh, you're going to, you know, ideally you get a couple drives where a team drives all the way down to the 10-yard line of fourth and one. They're going to go for it. You know they're going to go for it. And maybe they get stopped, and it's going to eat seven minutes off the clock, and there's going to be no points on the board. That's exactly what happens in this game every year. The defense has come to play. Army has already played a triple option team, the Citadel, this year. And that game was only 14 to 9, and there was less than 440 total yards in a game. So um, I, I, I see no reason to be scared Georgia, off by the Georgia. Lord. So the contrarian opinion to that is the Georgia Southern game went over. Yeah, uh, Georgia Southern does run a little bit of a different option. Uh, it still was uh, low yards, you know. I mean, yeah. Army only averaged three point three yards per carry. I have to look at exactly how that uh, how they scored on those drives. 
uh, you know, I, 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 I know that uh, Georgia Southern has a very good run offense and, and, you know, a pretty decent defense. I do see that there was a one play 17 yard drive for army in that game. And also a 22 yard fumble return in that game and a two play one yard drive. So I think some of that was off of turnovers. Yeah. Um, I don't expect the, uh, this game to be a similar outcome. And I'm going to give one more really low total. Uh, and you're probably going to want to get this in sooner than later. Check the weather report today. And I really like this game under, I liked it all under already, but now you kind of have to go with it. Northwestern Illinois under 40 and a half. Uh, it's going to be rain all morning in Chicago. The, uh, the game is played on a grass field, so you know that the game at Northwestern, the field's going to be chewed up by the second half. Uh, and you already have a team in Northwestern that plays low-scoring games, you know, 17-7 against Wisconsin, 21-13 against Nebraska, 21-20 against Iowa. Those were games in good weather. Uh, now you're playing a game in bad weather, and Illinois' offense is not bad. Their defense, uh, not great. But when the great equalizer to a bad defense is taking the uh, passing game out and the, the bigger thing than the rain, 15 to 25 mile an hour wins throughout the game, which means it's going to be really hard to throw the ball effectively for a team like Northwestern who doesn't throw the ball well at all. So, you know, yeah, this it, is a total. This is and it happens every uh, every Saturday or Sunday. You start seeing things like this, you know, People are going to wake up and go, oh, my God, it looks like Dennis Quaid uh, is out there and it's it's the day after tomorrow. And they're going to play a football game in this. And uh, the total drops eight points, you know. So yeah, I won't be surprised if it, if it goes off 33-34 uh, over under. Yeah, get that in now. I, I remember just a couple weeks ago, you know, we, we live in Cleveland. We were in the office. Yeah, that Raiders game. Uh, well, actually, uh, uh, the Raiders and the Texans game. So when yeah. they played the Texans right before that game started, remember they had to like kick off by a half hour. Right before that game started, we looked outside and the wind was blowing so hard it was blowing the dumpster down the yeah. down the uh, the parking lot, and there were trash cans flying through our parking lot and leaves. Now the wind that day was like 50, 60 miles an hour. Um, and, you know, we're right off the lake, so, you know, we get some crazy weather. But I Chicago's heard there was a mistake made out there, but continue. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not originally from Cleveland, so I'm not even going to disagree with you. There, there, <laughs> there's a lot of mistakes made in Cleveland. But, uh, yeah, so I, I, I think this is just going to be a low-scoring defensive battle with a team that already likes to play that way. It's going to be an ugly field. These guys are going to be all muddy by the end of the game. Well, you know what? I, I can't agree more, and I appreciate I'm going to add it to my plays, but not my car. We're going to see that. You know what? This is a make or break. I mean, we're going to be uh, neck and neck coming into conference championship game uh, weekend and bowl season. Bobcat's probably at the house drinking because his, his, uh, his tournament's over pretty much at this point. But, uh, Chris, I can't thank you enough ncsports.com power sweep it's only 10 bucks folks you got to check these guys out it's phenomenal 
the podcast, wherever you get it. What is the name of the pod again? Uh, Power Sweep Podcast by NC Sports. Hey, too easy to look it up. iTunes, Spotify, uh, Podbean, wherever you're getting it, it's there. Uh, Chris, always a pleasure, man. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Stu. Uh, great having me on. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, should be a fun week of football. Yeah, and, and hopefully we win uh, on this very tight card. Uh, but we'll let you know next week. Uh, we're going to be back at it. And hope you enjoyed today's big show. Uh, stay tuned. We got more great things coming. Check us out at StuCast Sports on Twitter. Uh, you can check Chris out at NC Sports. And uh, what's your handle, brother? Uh, at Chris V160. That's Chris V160. I love it, man. Uh, best of luck to you this weekend, and we will see you after a while.